My name is Bill Jay, and I am talking to you from Tempe, Arizona. When I saw a bunch of photographs which I didn't understand, uh, then I would contact the photographer. memory is that it was just a ring at the door, you, you know, and suddenly there was this guy. I came into the room, I looked the guy up and down and said, hmm, this is an interesting character. The reason I accepted your offer to be included here is because I hold the guy in such high regard. I personally think he's the most interesting writer there's been on photography. He owed a lot of money and um, he just got out of everything. He escaped. He was a lone voice in America. He was a beacon of hope, really. He was an evangelist. Bill was a catalyst for all of us. He was the flame that started it all. The meaning of that is unintelligible, and so it should be. My name is Grant Scott, and this is In Search of Bill J. Well, hello and welcome to episode four. The search continues and I'm back in the shed. At the end of episode three, I spoke about how we were going to discuss and look at the end of the 1960s, which also heralded the end of Bill Jay's connection and involvement with editing Creative Camera magazine. But what I'd like to do also this episode is look at the impact that that magazine had. The last issue of Creative Camera that Bill edited was December 1969, the last month of the last year of the decade. In that issue, there is no editor's letter from Bill. Maybe that's telling, although he is on the masthead as editor. The consultant is Tony Ray Jones and the publisher is Colin Osman. Advertising, Aidan Ellis. Remember that name because that's going to come up in a future episode. But what was in that last issue that Bill put together? Well, a letter from New York from Robert Frank. Ralph Gibson's photographs were featured. Van Deren Koch, another name to remember for the future episodes, was writing about the Ladagia types. Philip Jones Griffith's work was also included from Vietnam. Lewis Hine and Danny Lyon. That's a pretty impressive and incredible body of work and photographers in just one issue of a magazine. But as I say, Bill left the magazine after that issue. The first issue of 1970, that was the January issue, does not feature a masthead, but it does feature an editor's letter. There's no name given to that editor's letter, but the initials CO. So we can only presume that it was written by Colin Osman. And I'm going to read it to you because I think it's interesting. It starts off by saying, business as usual. Photography and photographic magazines are not static. The reasons for change are sometimes changes of popular taste, sometimes the development of new scientific ideas or even new philosophical concepts. 
Creative Camera was founded in 1964 and changes have been going on every year and indeed every issue. Many changes have been forced upon us by the sheer problems of economic survival, but always we have held steadfast to the belief that there are enough people interested in true photography to make the magazine a practical possibility. We make no secret of the fact that the struggle has been long and difficult, but much of it has been coupled with not only the economic position of the country, but with the economic and financial weaknesses within the photographic industry. While our struggles are by no means over, the future of the magazine can now be guaranteed, although the road to progress is inevitably slow. Obviously, massive changes of editorial content, popularisation and a lowering of our standards could produce a magazine, a photographic magazine, that was yet another money-making machine. But this is not our intention. No major policy changes are envisaged. Perhaps there will be a slightly greater emphasis on experimental photography. Perhaps a little more space to young photographers of promise, if not of talent. But in general, the policy will follow as we were able, much of that set down by Bill Jay in the heroic years. Our problems could be much reduced by our readers, for we estimate we are losing some 12.5% of our sales due to casualness. Subscribers who fail to renew promptly are one sort of loss. More serious are those who are generally concerned about the magazine and buy every copy they see. Unfortunately, because we cannot afford spare copies on every newsagent's bookstall, they inevitably miss the few copies, and with each reader missing the occasional copy, the figure of 12.5% is soon reached. We are not asking people to buy the magazine who do not like it, and we are told that there are one or two who do not understand it. But we do ask those who want to read it regularly to place a regular order with their newsagent or take out a postal subscription. For us, the difference is crucial because it means we can think in terms of a future not only secure but expanding with more pages of photographs and bigger and better issues. Well, there's a lot to unpack in that. I think what's really interesting is that almost half of it is Colin asking people to start buying the magazine more often or perhaps subscribe. Subscription being something he would have really understood coming from the pigeon fancying magazines. What's also interesting, I think, is to look at the photographers that Colin had in his first issue that we could only presume he was the editor of. Photographers Peter Kovac photographing an elephant, Niels Eric Vikerbach feet, Anthony Graham landscapes, Willem Kriz a portfolio, Dave Thomas anti art, and Cameron Kennedy pubs. Now, these photographers may or may not have been relevant and important at the beginning of 1970. But I know that in comparison to the photographers Bill had in the previous month's issue, these just cannot compete. 
it's clear, I hope, from listening to previous episodes that we've put a very strong case forward that Bill was the instigator of American photography coming to Britain and also interesting young British photographers' work being included alongside these American photographers. What Bill had basically done was given a showcase to work that wasn't previously being seen or wasn't being seen in other magazines. That was massively important in building a foundation for what was to come in photography in the UK in the 1970s. But what's also interesting, I think, is the importance of creative camera now and how it's being perceived from a historical perspective. When we're talking about history and we're reliant on memory, it's never the most accurate way forward. Memories get twisted and changed. And what we're talking about here is 54 years ago. That's a long time. And a lot of the people who were involved around Bill at that time are sadly no longer with us. But Thankfully, there are a lot of people who did know Bill and were around, and I've tried my very best over these podcasts, and in future podcasts, you'll hear from more people, to get information direct from the source. But that historical perspective of Creative Camera and Bill actually came to the fore recently when I purchased a book called Another Country, British Documentary Photography Since 1945 by Jerry Badger, published by Thames and Hudson. Now, that's a very important publisher and a very important writer. So I was really pleased to see that Jerry had picked up on the importance of creative camera in his book and, in fact, has dedicated a little section to it. But what it said is not historically accurate. And that's the problem with memory. You can probably hear me moving the big book around as I've got it in my hands in front of me because I wanted to get what Jerry had said accurate. He said this, Osmond launched a small independent photography magazine with a distinctive silver cover on the back of his long-standing and successful weekly The Racing Pigeon. Camera owner first appeared in 1964. It then became creative camera owner and in 1968 simply creative camera. Osmond's particular masterstroke was in his choice of editor. Bill Jay was a friend of David Hearn and had broad and progressive ideas about photography. The magazine quickly became a forum for independent modernist photography. Now, the reason why I made the film and I started to go in search of Bill Jay was to get the facts and get the facts correctly and to put Bill into his correct position in the history of photography in the UK. And I kind of got the feeling that he'd been written out and things had been written that weren't accurate. Well, for a start, 
This is a big book being written here about the history, and it should be getting the facts right. But how can it be? Because Colin Osman did not choose uh, Bill J to be the editor of the magazine. We know that Bill was already the editor of Camera Owner magazine in the December of 1965. That was before Colin Osman had anything to do with the magazine. The story that Bill told to us in this podcast series of how he and Colin came about working together may be a memory, but at the same time, it is backed up with facts, physical facts of the magazine itself. The truth of the matter is that Colin was the publisher. He was selling the advertising and he didn't really have anything to do with the editorial at all. Creative Camera was Bill J. And it's very strange to me that history seems to keep getting rewritten, making Bill seem like a minor character in his own story. Jerry Badger goes on to say that Jay had a historical as well as a contemporary perspective, feeling that most British photography enthusiasts were as ignorant of Britain's great photographic past as they were about the present in America and Europe. And I'll agree with that. The first issues of Creative Camera were an eclectic mix of work from the past and present, often featuring 19th century as well as classic 20th century modernism, as much as interesting contemporary British photography as he could find. Mainly the work of photojournalists like David Hearn or Don McCullen. Well, there were lots of other photographers appearing that weren't photojournalists. So I've got to bring into question that statement. It goes on to say, in the 1968 October issue, the magazine featured the work by a young English photographer called Tony Ray Jones. The pictures, by turn, surreal and socially penetrating, showed the English at leisure and in nine pages seemed to strike a chord, which was reinforced when Ray Jones had an exhibition at the Institute of Contemporary Arts, London, only a few months later. Well, that exhibition was put together by Bill Jay. So why no mention of Bill's involvement in that? And Bill's relationship and support of Tony Ray Jones really did make a difference, as we discussed in the last episode. This is not the first time, and I maybe think it won't be the last time, that Bill's importance to British photography is downplayed. And in fact, we will talk about this in a future episode, when Bill himself felt that level of betrayal. Perhaps he was being paranoid, but I have to feel that through my research, he maybe had a point to prove and a point to make.
The influence of Bill and Creative Camera is clear to see in the work that the photographers that read the magazine produced throughout the 1970s. When the magazine went on to a different life under the editorship of Pete Turner after Colin Osmond's very short moment in the spotlight. Interestingly enough, the magazine continued to look exactly the same as Bill had wanted it, with its silver cover and its black and white photograph. Its typography stayed very similar, as did the design of the magazine. Photographers such as Martin Parr, Daniel Meadows, Brian Griffin, all of whom listened to Bill talk when they were students at Manchester Polytechnic. And of course, they weren't just the only ones. Bill's influence was widespread and that magazine was hugely important to many young photographers and working photographers, working photographers who moved into the contemporary art world or into teaching and young photographers who saw the work being shown as a new future, a new possibility for them to embrace. In the next episode, we'll talk about how Bill took that inspiration and that influence into different areas by creating the Photo Study Centre at the Institute of Contemporary Art and also launching Album Magazine. He even launched, well, co-launched or took over a gallery space, the Do Not Bend Gallery, where he started to show work. It is perhaps worth noting that the amount of female, nude and voyeuristic photography increased within Creative Camera under Osmond's editorship in 1970. An obsession with nude photography was a criticism often levelled at Creative Camera. As the amount of writing on photography decreased, perhaps this was no surprise considering Osmond's photographic interests. In 1969, a book of his nudes had been published titled Amour Amour in Praise of Women by King's Road Publishing with a foreword by Bill. The images were amateur at best and Jay never included the foreword for the book in his writing resume. There was also no increase in the inclusion of young photographers within creative camera or experimental photography as suggested in Osmond's editor's letter that had started the year and his editorship. The only sense of experimentation came in the use of spot colour additions to images on the cover. In the next episode, Bill moves on to new ground. He makes money for the first time and he loses it even quicker. Things look good and then they look bad. Bill gets invited to meetings and then he gets locked out of meetings. The search for Bill J will continue. This has been a United Nations of Photography production. All music was composed and played by Laura Ritchie. If you'd like to find out more about the film Do Not Bend, The Photographic Life of Bill J, visit www.donotbendfilm.com. <laughs>